0: Welcome to the Beers with Engineers podcast. My name is Bert Husheld, and this is episode number five. Today, I talk with Nate Rollins, who is an independent contractor in Massachusetts like me, but he has been doing it for much longer. We talk about how he got into contracting, why he stays in it, and why he never endeavored to expand his company beyond himself and some part-time work from his son. Some interesting snippets of the conversation include buying Cyanoacrylate, also known as Super group. By the gallon, Ford three in the tree stick shifts, and maybe the first 3D printed snack food. And of course, we talk about his personal motto that is, his network is his most valuable resource. Knowing Nate as long as I have, there was really little choice in having that as the episode title. Let's get into the conversation. Today's nice guest is an engineer that I've known since about 2007 or 2008. His name is Nate Rollins. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Wow, has it been that long? <laughs> I think so. So, we, we first worked together when I was an employee and he was in a contractor. And then he became an employee at a sister company where I was working. And then I left to do other things. Those other things didn't pan out. So, I ended up using my safety net of being a contractor. So, the next thing happened, Nate decided to go back to being a contractor. So who filled in for him at the company where he was working, you might wonder? None other than yours truly, and that was back in 2011. After a few years, I chickened out of the contractor game, temporarily at least because I'm back at it now. But Nate has stuck it out since then. And so it kind of seems that uh, as I was going through our history, we're kind of like a tag team engineering. A couple of tag team engineers, I guess you might say. So, that's that said, Nate is not only a good engineer, but he's also an excellent CAD operator, and he, the first-rate per, first 1st person, who well, I'm pleased to call my friend, and not just a fellow engineering colleague. Thanks, Breer. So, um, let's go from there. You're very welcome. So, two things to get out of the way for starters. One, are you, in fact, drinking a beer? If yes, what is it? If not, what would you like to be drinking? If you beer, were drinking a beer.
1: Well... Bert, I did take the opportunity to indulge in a beer on a Thursday evening and, um, I'm drinking a cloud candy a new England IPA from lady squirrel, um, relatively local brewery in Waltham, Massachusetts. And, um,
0: That's a, That is one I have not heard of. Okay. So you're (laughs) an IPA drinker. Yes, I am. Okay. So the next, uh, I to get out of the way. Do you know any engineering uh, jokes that you can share with us? Uh, yes, I do.
1: Um, but it's not funny because, and I'm not good at telling jokes. I'm I'm a good engineer. I'm not a good comedian. I
0: <laughs> if,
1: but I guess you're going to ask well, me I'm, to tell my engineering joke, aren't you?
0: Oh, I absolutely am. I absolutely am. And if it doesn't work out, it's the writer's fault and not uh, the deliverer's fault. We'll, uh, we'll make that clear up front.
1: Um, well, I know, I know, I know a funny joke that is actually, it involves an engineer, but it's, it's not making fun of engineers. That's close enough. But I'm going to tell another joke. Well, does
0: it doesn't have to be fair. Some engineering <laughs> jokes, some engineering <laughs> jokes compliment engineers. Yeah. Okay. What
1: so, <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed because I'm not sure who the audience is after, after all we are recording this publishing it as a podcast but i will say uh, I'll, I'll tell the joke as best i can and my disclose my disclaimer is that i'm an engineer not a comedian i already said that the mathematician right. and an engineer and a statistician they go on a hunting trip and the mathematician um is carrying a high powered rifle with a scope and a tripod it's a, a sniper's rifle and they're going through the brush and they, and the the engineer has the binoculars and he sees an elk and it's probably three quarters of a mile away, but the rifle that they're using to hunt is very capable of that range. So they, um, agree to, uh, set up the rifle on the ridge and where they have a view of this elk and they set up the scope and take a look in the. And the mathematician says, I got this, I got this. Let me take the first shot since I had to carry the rifle and everyone agrees. And so he takes out a pad and paper and he does a range finding and he calculates the triangulation and sets the, the rifle up and takes a shot. And the engineers look it through the, the binoculars and, and he says, oh, you hit the ground about fifty fifty 50 yards beyond the elk. And the engineer says, give me a try. Let me try this. And so he gets out his pad of paper and he does his calculations and sets up the shot and he pulls a trigger and the statistician is looking through the binoculars and he says, Oh, you were fifty yards too short. And uh, and the statistician says, It seems like we hit him. <laughs> I so, believe
0: I've heard that. It's quite possibly from you sometime in the past. But I maybe, know. maybe, yeah. And I may have done a better
1: job of telling it. But um
0: anyway, so much for bad jokes. That's all right. Sorry. All right. Um okay, so a little personal background on yourself. Why did you become an engineer? A little on your why Nate Rollins is an engineer.
1: Yeah, well, I, because I was born an engineer. Um, as probably most engineers okay. were. Um, I do tell a story about when I was three that I don't remember, but my mom says it that when I was, um, just a young tyke, I made the observation that our car had uh, the gear shifter on the floor and our van had the gear shifter on the steering wheel. And I asked why, why was that? So, um, so I think just an observation like that tells anyone that, um, that there's a, a, a way of thinking in a young child's mind that is, um, that 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 child was born an engineer, and so that's right, um, right. that was the start of it all. But then the the reason why I chose to you know go to college as a young adult and study engineering was when I was in late in high school I went to a guidance counselor and the guidance counselor gave a an ex, little test multiple choice test just to kind of. Gauge the person's interest, and the results of the test I remember were plotted in, like, on a polar coordinate with an oval centered on the circle and shifted one way or the other about the center. In the oval, the ends of the oval pointed toward diametrically opposed career paths, and one was. Horticulture and the other was mechanical engineering. Now, why those two things? So those are your, those those are the two well, c- recommended career paths for me after
0: taking that test. What they horticulture is pretty technical. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you well, know, it and grows much food and growing plants. Well, you, I find
1: that. And you know, what's interesting that I've thought of many times is that um, those two professions are. They, there's a fair bit of overlap too in terms of, you know, efficiency in growing food and, and plants and figuring out what makes them grow and, and how to provide those things. And So anyway, I didn't know what either one of them were. Um, and yeah. I went to the library and got a book made out of paper and looked, them, looked up those two professions and found that, um, that I liked both of them. Um, and when I talked to my mom about it, she said, oh, well, you know, your grandfather was a mechanical engineer. And I said, oh,
0: okay, there you go. Oh, so the, what I'm intrigued about was the van with the, <laughs> was that a three in the tree, as we used to say? Oh, yes. Yeah. Did, did you ever, so we had a 1970 Ford van, it was three in the tree. We had all kids, all loads of kids in it and went camping and whatnot. I eventually drove that. We had it so long that, uh, <laughs> back in 1983, 84, when I was 16, 17 years old, I got to drive that big old van I remember one of my high school classmates was just so, I mean, I had seen it since I was four years old. So it wasn't that big a deal for me. He was not quite that young, but he was just very tickled by the, the stick shift on the steering call. Yeah. Three and speed. It. A, three and three, a so.
1: three speed. So yeah, I've, I've driven, um, um, several three on the trees and one of them was i think a 1974 uh ford pickup with a monstrous 450 cubic inch engine or something like that um and it was uh my brother's vehicle with a rotted out bed that he replaced with wood made it a flatbed and uh yeah lots of lots of fun times in that car truck
0: for sure All right. So we talked about cars that have changed. We know we do have three in the tree. We don't have four on the floor. We don't have stick shifts for the most part anymore. Hey. What's something in your career, in your engineering career, what's something that's changed since the early days to the current days? Something that's
1: changed? Oh, well, Bert, of course, I turned 54 next month, right? Um, a lot has changed in my career you know I, I um i I'm proud to say that i i've never I've never been paid to create a mechanical drawing with a pencil with although I did learn how to use a t square and triangles to make drawings including isometric views and etc with a pencil
0: um, uh, I think when I was a co-op in '86, I think I did a few uh, pen and pencil drawings or paper and pencil drawings. As a co-op, yeah, I so a, we, continue. I got a few so, years so, on you, yeah, so,
1: but not too many. So you were a professional draftsman, uh, at, at least for a while. Uh, at least for a, while. for a little while, right? Right. As a as a co-op student, yeah. No. So that's obviously something that has changed quite a bit is the technology that we use. You know the the, I, the idea of three D printing a prototype and iterating on that. Um, so rapidly it is really astounding in terms of how life was when I started my career uh, um, I remember the first time experiencing a 3d printer it was it was an FDM printer made by Stratasys um, the the build platform was um, an open cell foam that was held in place with some steel pins that you would remove the pins and tear the print off of the foam and if you were lucky you would get a nice release so that you could actually reuse the foam once or twice but most of the time it just tore a big chunk out of the foam and you had to use another um, semi-rigid open cell foam to build on. Shortly after um, that we we acquired a, a Z-Corp printer which um, I don't know if you have any familiarity with that, but that was, it was a, a, vat of powder and they used, um, they used a talcum powder or they used a, a um, a sugar, uh, what was the sugar that they had? Um, uh, I can't remember. It was. This <laughs> isn't. Anyway, it was, a, it was some form of, edible sugar. It was in, it was an edible sugar. Um, and I'm not, it, it wasn't uh lactose, but it was, uh, no. I can't remember. Anyway, it's not important, but, um, you know, the salesman who, who sold Z Corp printers would, um, 3d print little Darth Vader heads that were about the size of your th- first joint of your thumb. And, um, at trade shows, he would eat them. It's a party trick kind of, and they were, uh, you know, they were And the, in the cool thing about this, the Z Corp that the, the Z Corp technology was, um, using the print head from an inkjet printer. And instead of squirting ink out of those portals, it would squirt, um, a binder, which was, uh, first, which you could choose a sugar water. Um, mm-hmm. and so you would bind this, this sugar with a sugar water and it would turn into a solid and it would just print layer by layer. And, um, the, the, the the platform of the print of the vat of powder, like a square bucket of powder would, would, um, get a layer spread over top of it. And then the printer would go over and solidify that layer. And then it would spread another thin layer of powder. Um, it was, it was, uh, pretty archaic, but for For the builds that we were making, we didn't use the sugar method we used um um the talcum powder and uh, some other type of binder that was not as edible and then and then uh, to to give the the part some strength afterward you would uh impregnate the model with cyanoacrylate, which was rather messy at times and also quite smelly um if you could imagine like all of that surface area of cyanoacrylate wafting through the air it was mm. made your eyes water i like yeah. the smell of cyanoacrylate in the morning yeah it it's uh it definitely is a, a, a very um distinctive odor that i don't really dislike until it's strong enough to make your eyes water and then uh, that's not a good thing uh but i don't think th- I don't know many people who actually would go out and buy cyanoacrylate by the leader. And I remember finding um, a, a, a distributor for, for adhesives, really good guy, probably worked out of his house way back in the late nineties. And he ran a company called, I think American Adhesives it was. And I would meet him in the parking lot of a movie theater in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and he he would deliver, you know, a box of four liters of cyanoacrylate. I just felt a little awkward doing that.
0: I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, moving from the nineties, you know, it's like some terrorist is going to get a gallon of (laughs) (laughs) cyanoacrylate later on. I don't know what, but it seems like he could do something. A bit nefarious. With the exactly. Of it definitely.
1: You know, it's been... kind of like today you
0: can't go, I mean, today you can't even go buy Sudafed. Like, people buy it by, you know, the and they make meth with it. I think that's what they make. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's but, right. Yeah. I saw Breaking Bad. I know so all about Something
0: that. I was, I'm not, <laughs> the only things I've seen of Breaking Bad is what the Mythbusters talked about on their show. I don't think I've seen anything else besides what the Myth. myth... Busters showed. Well, I missed but that
1: episode. I don't so, know what
0: that. something I was just thinking about quite recently, last day or two of them, you know, working on this uh, project and you know, it's a council and a three piece housing and the chassis that a whole bunch of different parts are attached to. And you got to make it all fit together, yada, yada, yada. And my first job, also my second job out of college. I worked at uh, Ethicon in Cincinnati doing medical devices. And we had, you know, I was hired as an engineer and I was working on developing a product and I had one, sometimes two, we call them designers, mechanical designers, as opposed to industrial designer, who they worked on the CAD and they did, they did the CAD work. And, you know, I would kind of, you know, it's I'm not sure exactly where it would start, but a typical day would be, I'd go sit down with my designer, Darren. And Sarah, what'd you finish up on yesterday? When are we still working on What are the problems? And, well, I'm trying to get this to work, and this doesn't work, and this fears. And so we'd spend 10 minutes or half an hour sketching things on a piece of paper, figuring out how to solve it, you know, just general concept, and, you know, make it so number one. I'd walk away, and you'd go do that, and I'd do something else, which I can't even remember half the time when it was that I used to be doing. That doesn't happen anymore. At least in my experience, that doesn't happen anymore. Mechanical designer who takes direction from an engineer, I, I don't know that it exists. I mean, I'm right now as an engineer, I am the engineer and the designer and the CAD operator all in one. And, you know, that council I was working on today is like, I started it, you know, a week and a half. ago. have oh, we got a design review next Wednesday. And start making prototypes. And I'm going, 40 years ago, one person could not have done that. It would have taken 10 people, three months, and a couple of iterations of prototypes in between. And, you know, so I guess that's why long-winded, you know, the mechanical designer seems to be a profession or occupation that's largely gone. I haven't heard of one in a long time. I don't know. So I'm going to use that to dovetail. Remember using dovetail on that project? We did a lot of dovetails on the, the one project we worked on. That was... The phrase of the day. Anyways, um, and I'm just wondering that your perspective on that might be different because as we talked about uh not too long ago, you've been doing contracting largely from the beginning of your career, correct? That's true. Yes. And, you know, at Ethicon, you know, there was I don't know, 20 or 30 employees and 20 or 30 Contractors on long term contracts doing the mechanical design. And, you know, when we had the layoffs, obviously we were the first ones to go and play, others well, went with them, but um so I I'm wondering, you're not saying you're not an engineer, but what I'm hypothesizing, confirm or deny that in your earlier years you were working more as a role of a mechanical designer than an engineer, or were you doing well, describe what it was and do you disagree with? So I think I, I, I
1: totally get what you're saying. And I, and I do agree that that was how it, how things went. And, um, and I guess I hadn't thought of it before, but I also agree that maybe that's something that has changed in the industry. And I, I think that has a lot to do with the tools that are at the average engineer's disposal for everything from CAD to simulation and fea tools and things like that so so 3d printers as well um we've we've got tools now that can um fill in for all of those all of those different roles i will say that um you're right i do consider myself a design engineer and not your traditional typical mechanical engineer and i'll explain that a little bit um i as you mentioned i i i have I have been a contractor for most of my career. And the, and the reason for that is as a Northeastern student, um, I got a co-op job. And in that co-op job, I had a really excellent mentor, um, for three years. Um, I worked with this gentleman and he basically was a high school dropout and, and I think had his GED and that's it. Um, he didn't, he never went to college. He grew up as a child. He told me he would read the Chilton's manual and study the exploded view of tr- automatic transmissions, trying to figure out how they worked. And he would, he would, he told me he got grounded at least once for, um, running his dad's bridge port out in the garage without permission. And so, you know, he was just kind of like a hands
0: appropriately so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he. He was a hands-on hacker type, you know, and yeah. he was a really whip smart designer and he taught me a whole lot of stuff. Um, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, uh, I was, ai wasn't a co-op student for three and a half years. Uh, what happened was I didn't pay my tuition as a co-op student and they kicked me out of Northeastern. So. My boss at the co-op job said, Hey, uh, you're not a student anymore. Do you want a job? And I said, yeah. And with the job came tuition reimbursement. And I, uh, kept going to school at night and, and in oh, a shoot. short, a short seven years, I actually got my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering technology. So when you go to school at night at UMass Lowell, you can't get a BSME degree. You have to get a BSME T and they tack on that technology hmm. word at the end. Which basically means that you're doing a lot more work, um, hands on in the lab and instead of the theoretical calculation. So, uh, So, excuse just, me one second.
0: Was the, was the curriculum actually different? Yes. Because that's what
1: you just said. I just want to yes, confirm. That's right. The, okay. cu- the curriculum was different. Um, we had more, more labs, um, for, uh, testing and experimentation and, and learning about, um manufacturing technologies. And one of the, one of the great classes that I remember was a lab class w- was, you know, something like inst- engineering instrumentation or something like that. And we learned about, um, uh-huh. strain gauges and accelerometers and proximity sensors and all kinds of things like that. And, uh-huh. and we had experiments where we actually play with these devices. <laughs> so that was really cool. Yeah, today, I, I still consider myself a design engineer over the traditional mechanical engineer who's, you know, ready to do, um, bolted joint analyses by hand and figure out stuff, uh, with calculations. Um, my, my tack is generally to build a breadboard and test and do things, um, in the physical sense. And I, it's not that I don't calculate things to estimate a starting point, but I find that, um, this the designs mature more quickly and more, um, accurately when you actually have real life situations, backing up your decisions. So, so a calculation for me gives a good starting point, but then I very quickly dive into trial, trial and error. And. And I found that some clients don't really like that. (laughs) They, they hire an engineering contractor to do the calculations and figure stuff out and, and, you know, and so sometimes there's not a good match and I end up having a shorter stay at that client and that's okay. Um, everybody's different. Um, but, uh, but yes, I, it's funny because it's funny that you mentioned that because I do, um, call myself regularly a design engineer yeah uh, to to make that distinction clear
0: yeah well ironically i think my very first title out of college was design engineer and i was more project manager that, that's why yeah. i stayed at the job for much, less than 2 years I, I want to do some engineering and not Yeah,
1: i know yeah well it's, you know it's, it's, we need we need project engineers we need we need project managers and uh well, Yep, and, um, yep. but, but I'm not ready to sign up for that. I don't I don't particularly yeah. like
0: it. We, we we could talk about for a while. Um, no, but interestingly, something I just realized a couple of days ago, uh, you are whopping, uh, guest number five, Ooh. but you're the first one who is strictly an engineer. The other ones have been, you know, program managers or, you know. Directors, vice presidents, owners, what not even an engineer employed as an engineer anymore. So you were the first one that is first foremost and primarily an engineer. Yeah. So Cheers, Mozeltov, whatever you want to say. Cheers. Well thanks, Bert. But I you know oh, what? Please, I, I'll drink I, to that.
1: I I have to I have to I have to refute that because honestly, I am um the CEO and president and project manager <laughs> and Janitor of my corporation that I run. And so I, with an em, em, employee base of one, that's me. Well, actually my son is on, on the payroll as well. I've hired him as a part-time, um, grunt. And he does some work for me. I was me. wondering if you're going to throw that at me.
0: What's that? There you go. I was wondering if you're going to throw that at me and that's not very good form to make the host look bad. <laughs> Friendly invite between you and I. What do you mean? How did I make you look bad? I said you were one thing and you were denied it. Oh.
1: Well, that doesn't make oh. you look bad. I'm just I, saying.
0: My ego <laughs> is very I think bruised. Very
1: fragile. I'm sorry well, about that.
0: That's all right. I'll get over it.
1: Well, no, no but I, I am an engineer, and if I were if I were more of a business marketing, human resources, you know, then, then my business, my company would not have one employee would have probably 20 and I'd be, uh, you know, on a beach somewhere, scratching my belly retired, but no, I am Mm -hmm. an engineer and that's why I'm stuck where I am.
0: So, but I'm not sure I've heard you say that before. So I'm going to put words in your mouth. It's a a lack of the non-technical skills for lack of a better word. I'm going to start over again. So you have ambitions for Bear's Feet to be bigger. But it's not. And you think it's just your skills, interests do not fit well into that somewhat of a goal. Would that be correct?
1: Well, that's an interesting observation about what I said. Um, I, I don't think that I ever had real strong ambitions to grow my company and become you know um, a a quote unquote design firm or some other entity like that um but okay. you know how can you be in this world and not think about it occasionally and so um if i if I may I'll bring my faith into this a little bit. I was considering shifting my direction in the business a little bit and uh and and here's the reason um for so long i was fully booked with projects and 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 overworked and frequently people would say well nate why don't you uh why don't you hire somebody and and then you can you know then you can grow and and i would always say well yeah well the day i hire somebody then i become then i stop be being a designer, design engineer, and I start becoming a manager and Mm. I have to manage other people and check their work. And it's not, and that's not really what I want to do. But then, you know, after hearing that for literally years, I started to think, well, maybe that is something that I should do. And so, you know, I mentioned my faith. I, I prayed about it and, and asked my God, if that was something that I should do, should I pursue Uh, growing the business or should I just stay with the status quo and, and, and be an independent? And, and I sort of got an answer. Um, I might, I might even consider it a miracle that I heard pretty loud and clear that I should just do whatever I want. And I decided that, um, I would I would stay the course and enjoy being on my own and making my own decisions and doing what I love to do and not worry about, um, growing a business into something that would, you know, potentially allow me to retire early or buy the BMW Mm. or whatever, because, because really what's the point of growing? Like, why, why would you grow a business into something bigger? And it's, it's. A rhetorical question it's really because you want you want more money like that's basically bottom line is like you want to grow your business so you can get more money and when you get more money you know fill in the blank and i right. and i right. thought I, I i'm happy with what i'm doing i'm really satisfied with life i'm paying all my bills and i get to go to my son's soccer game at 3 p.m and don't have to ask for permission to do it and so, you know, I just figured that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay that. So, so I think what this does is it, it, it rolls all the way back into your comment that I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm not a, I'm not a business person. I'm not an, a CEO. I, I am an engineer. So yeah, you're right, Bert. I'm just an engineer. <laughs>
0: Thank you. My ego feels so much better. Yeah, <laughs> Good. Bronson. I then wrap a bunch of things together. Oh, going on a bit of a speech here. So when I began, I said that da, 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 I left to do other things and started as a contractor as a safety net. All, as I've mentioned on this podcast, I don't know if you've heard it before, that I left my job to work out a product for cyclists. And it was something to remind them not to drive into the garage when they had a bike on the roof rack. And so I'd worked on that nights and weekends and time came, said, all right, I'm going all in on this thing. I'm quitting my job and, you know, I'll make some money contracting, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the funny thing about that is when I quit my job, my wife was at least eight months pregnant with our third child. So that, that uh, foolish, daring, brave. I'm not sure uh, a variety of uh, adjectives can describe that. So, and my thought was to you know, get that product out and we'll get other products out. And, you know, I think at one time I literally told somebody I wanted to be a mini, um, what's that Branson, the Virgin, Richard Branson, I wanted to be a mini Richard Branson with just lots of different things, not necessarily one field. Um, well, that didn't work out, but so then go back to the other thing we talked about a little bit was the. You know, when I was an engineer, I had designers working under me, and actually, a little bit at Radius where we met, the um, way they structured some of the larger projects, they had a design engineer. Uh, what did they call it? Engineering team leader, then engineering expert. So the engineering team leader kind of managed to looked over the the experts, and so that actually was kind of similar to my old days of working with a designer where. You know, I knew what was going on and I'd sit down with the different contractors, not contractors, I'm sorry, their employees, uh, sit down with them at various times during the day and say, what are we working on today? What are the problems we work it out together? And they'd go flesh out the details and they'd go the other side of the room and sit with the other guy who was working on a different part of it and do the same sort of thing. So period, turn that into why one might hire additional people. Is you can make a bigger impact and I'm not saying you made a wrong decision. I am just saying that's a thing to consider is, you know, if I've got, you know, there's a product or numerous products that I want to work on and I physically can't work on all of them, but if I've got five people under me who can work on them, then, you know, my impact can be expanded, made larger, whatever is that Absolutely necessary thing. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's what I thought of as you were talking uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I amplifying it's, it's, it's leverage of sorts, you know, know. kind of like uh, Elon Musk. He's got his fingers in a whole bunch of different things. Not that I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. To Elon Musk or Richard Branson for that matter, but you know, that, <laughs> that is what an engineer can do, potentially, what they want to, but. Well, I appreciate that and other
1: perspective, Bert. Uh, for listeners like me, could you tell us a little bit about Richard Branson and who that is?
0: Richard Branson, you don't know Richard, he? He's a British guy. Uh, I think he Virgin Records, maybe. Hmm. But he's had all sorts of companies. Virgin, uh, I think he had like ships. Uh, I think he had a Virgin Airlines. Uh, I think Virgin Galactic was making some sort of space plane. Right. I don't, uh, we just don't all sorts of different things, all sorts of different things, not, you know, from my recollection, not terribly related, you know, Virgin records and airplanes, uh, I guess airplanes and rocket ships have some sort of relation, but, you know, selling records and music and going to the moon or going to space are pretty, that's, those are the, your oval you started out with, those are opposite ends.
1: Yeah, Yeah, there's a spectrum going on for that. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. So you you mentioned, uh, I'm going to let you tell this story, which I've heard once and forget most of the detail. Uh, You mentioned your company name is Bears Feet Engineering. If you want to hire a cracker engineer, uh, look up Nate at Bears Feet, and we'll get that in the uh, show notes at the end. Uh, The name of Bears Feet, what is the origin of that again? You may need to uh, specify the spelling. Of bear's feet.
1: Yes. So bear's feet is, um, about the animal bear and it's possessive, not plural. So even though I don't spell it with an apostrophe, it really is the feet of a bear and the feet is not the thing that the bear walks upon, but it is the accomplishment of the bear. So the bear's feet is not an athletic feat, but it is a feat of engineering. I guess, to kind of keep the wordplay going. And the, I am the bear. The reason for me being a bear is, um, back in a previous life, that was sort of a nickname for me. And so, um, that's just kind of what came to me one night when I was thinking about, uh, a name for my company. And, um, that's what stuck. What's interesting is that that, That day that I thought of the name for my company, I was really not thinking of starting a company anytime soon. What's interesting is when I was um, in college, I thought and said to my friends that I was planning to start a consultancy when I was 50, because that would be Not really retirement, but it would be a way to, you know, approach retirement and, and have some free time and enjoy my life before retiring. And little did I know that in a year or two or three from that day, I would be, um, a co-op student slash soon to be a, a technician as a direct employee. And then the company that I was working for as a technician got sued for patent infringement and closed their doors and sent me packing. And at that point, I didn't have a degree, had a little bit of a resume, but then I found temp agencies and the temp agencies kind of put me into that track of being a contractor. And, and for many years I was a contractor and, uh, not as through temp agencies and then. And then at at some point, my career uh, matured enough and my network, which is a very important thing to me, also grew enough so that I could sustain my employment without needing agencies to find work for me. And I think it was right about the time when you and I met, Bert, that that, um, my contract with a temp agency ended. And on that day, I went into Mike Susie's office and said, hey, uh, I'm not under contract anymore with um, agency XYZ. And he said, okay, great. And so we basically split the difference that the agency was charging and I got a nice hefty pay raise and he got a nice discount on my help. So it was a great thing. And then from that day forward, I've actually never used an agency again. I've I've, I've been gainfully employed um, through my network and
0: word of mouth, so. Okay, so Bear's Feet did not exist as a company. It existed as a idea in your mind that that's when you, can't think of the word, but registered it, incorporated yeah. it. So, Is that So, n-
1: no, in, in 2001, I started Bear's Feet. Bear's Feet Consulting Services um, was the name of my company, and then for uh, five years, I used I used uh, Bear's Feet Consulting Services as, as a as a, a DBA, doing business as, and that was just basically me doing business as Bear's Feet Consulting Services, and then in oh. Uh, in oh five, late in two thousand five, I. Um, uh, I think it was a CPA advised me to incorporate uh, for financial reasons and so I formed the corporation which is now Bear's Feet Inc.
0: So when you were working through agencies were they paying Nate Rollins or were they Yes, Bear's Feet. Well, they
1: were paying Nate Rollins um for Depended. for a while, yeah. And then I think it was um okay. In, in 2001, I think I started using the Bear's Feet name. Yeah. Right. So in, in 1990, mm-hmm, ooh, wow. I think it was like 1994, 95, I, um, started working through temp agencies and then, in, and then what, six years later in oh one, I, I started working as
0: Bear's Feet. CAD. All right. So let's ask a silly question. What was the first CAD package that you used and what was that? Well,
1: so the first CAD package that I used, um, for work was CAD key. No, sorry. That's wrong. Huh? huh. It's, it was CADM, which was, I believe an IBM company. And it was a mainframe CAD system and it had a, a digitizer with a puck and it had, a, digitizer a, a puck. yeah. So, so the, instead of a mouse, it, it looked like a mouse. And if you, and if you showed anybody today, what that thing, it would, they would say, oh, it's just a weird looking mouse. But it, it was kind of what you're saying. Go ahead. It, it was a puck that had a coil in it with the crosshairs at the center of the coil and you would line the crosshairs up with certain locations on your digitized, digitized pad, digital digitized pad and, and the pad could be configured to, um, have little locations where you could, like, if you want to draw a circle, you put it over the circle thing and you click one of the buttons and it had four buttons. And, uh, and you ran your CAD that way. And then on the left side, there was a keypad and there was a, a matrix of, I'm going to say maybe 16 buttons that they were like keyboard, old school keyboard buttons that you would push to enter different functions of the, of the CAD system. And, um, it was, it was a true 3d wireframe CAD system, but. The company I was worked for never, ever touched anything in the third dimension. It was all 2D Okay, Uh, Um, and so I learned how to create mechanical drawings using that. And I did some very light design work using that. And it was all 2D kind of orthographic projection of the design. So using layers and colors, you would separate the components of an assembly. And, and you would draw and the idea of having a dimension and double clicking it and changing it and making it longer or shorter like that. Uh, talk about what changed in my career. Like that was yeah, a, yeah. a
0: major development for sure. Well, there was, I did use a, it was a digitizer pen. That's what they called it. Right. Yeah. I didn't have the puck, I had a pen. Oh yeah. And I had, my tablet was maybe. 12 by 12 maybe a little bigger and you know what's like you said there was a template on top of it in the middle was kind of the screen yeah and then around it was 40 or 50 or i don't know how many you know half inch by half inch squares and each square was a different thing yeah and that that was that was called versacad okay and it it had some it had some very crude three-dimensional stuff with i played with a little bit and Never got off first base. Um, what I was using it for was doing flow charts, uh, was working mm-hmm.
1: in you know, kind of a
0: manufacturer's Procter and Gamble. So they're making soap and things like that. So you got pipes and valves and tanks and pumps and mixers and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And I would just draw a flowchart of where all that stuff was and, you know, figure out what was safe and what wasn't safe. But it was also at that time, uh, one of my coworkers had mentioned I don't think it was by name, but he mentioned, you know, the idea of pro-engineer, you know, where you just click on the dimension and that changes things. Yeah. It, it just blew my mind. I said, no, I, I could not could not comprehend what that was and what that meant. It's like, you've got to take the structure and move it. And, you know, a couple of years later uh, from that, I was started working in pro-engineer for the first time. Well, what's interesting, Bert, is that is that
1: um, that CADM CAD package that I used was at my co-op position, which transformed into a technician's full time position. and And while I was working there, PTC came and did a demo, and they they went into conference room and they put up on the screen or uh, projector or something Pro Engineer, and they demonstrated. And and I did a little research when I recently re, redid my website. I did a little research and found out that that because I, I knew what year that was, they demonstrated. I believe it was Pro Engineer version six or version five or something like that. It was okay. in the single digits for sure. Yeah, it was very early on. And my the mentor that I mentioned, who was not an engineer, he was a designer he we got out of that i was i was floored a lot of people were were floored by that demonstration of what in a good team. way i'm sure right in a good way yeah okay. it was Make it was fun. very impressive and everyone was uh ooing and eyeing over this new technology and uh and my mentor who was you know a, a real dirt floor kind of shoot from the hip kind of guy he he we get out of there and he's like that's a stupid thing can you imagine did you I don't count fly? Yeah, he's like before he even had one line up on the screen. I counted he did forty-seven clicks. You know? <laughs> and, I was, <laughs> and I was like, "Well," and, and you and I both know Proe very well. You, yeah. Know? Yeah. you know that's true. There's a lot of setup that had to happen before you could draw one line on the screen. You know, so um.
0: uh, I, I did once. Uh, I don't know some sort of social media thing. I just was upset with Pro Engineer at the time and said, "Dear PTC." I do not get paid by the click yeah. to no one in particular, but it will me feel a little bit better. That's a, and only if we had
1: gotten paid by the click. That would,
0: oh yeah. You know? Shoot. Yeah. We'd, we'd have retired at 30. How... But are we still working now? Anyways. All right. Let's see. So if you were not an engineer, you'd be a horticulturalist, right? I, If you were an engineer, what would you be?
1: Yeah. I don't, I I don't know if I would be a horticulturist, but I think, um, it's, it's hard to say because you never know what path your life is going to take at the time. But, but if I knew what I know now, um, there's two things that rise to the top for me. One is being a teacher. Like I, I really enjoy, um, explaining things to, to younger people and who don't know, like whenever I get to work with a co-op student, It just, it just fulfills me to, to, to teach them stuff, you know, and, and surely my kids roll their eyes and they're like, oh boy, he just keeps going on and on and on. And he's always going to tell me everything about everything, (laughs) but, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. So I think that's one path that I, I, I might, I might've taken, or I, I could take, um, if, you know, and if only teachers got paid what they were worth, man, I would choose that career in a heartbeat. And it's a travesty that they are so underpaid. Um, And and then the other thing that, that comes to mind frequently for me is, is something in the medical profession, um, whether it's a physician or a researcher or something like, something like that. I, I just feel like, um, you know, there's a, there's a level of engineering skills that go into figuring out medical issues you know physiology and the human body and and fixing things and I I mean I'm just fascinated with that and so I I am actually quite happy that I've spent so many years of my career working in the medical device industry and so that that's a good thing because I get to see that but and that's probably the reason why I, I think I would enjoy it and be good at something in the medical field is because i i am exposed a little bit to it
0: yeah so let's start to wrap this thing up i've got i think two questions left for you one if somebody listening was thinking about being a contractor or going on on their own what advice would you give them to do that to make that decision
1: um first First off, your network is your most valuable resource. And I, I see that very frequently, multiple times per week, those words come out of my mouth verbally, audibly. And yes, once again, my kids roll their eyes when they hear me say it, because I do, I say it all the time oh, and it's so yes. true. It's, it's a very, very true statement. Um, you know, most of, most of my work comes from my network, most meaning like high 90% of my work comes through my network. Right. Um, it, and that's just something that you really need to be intentional about, nurture it, cultivate it. Um, you know, you don't have to go to networking events and pass out business cards and schmooze with people, but you do have to stay in touch with the folks that, that have anything to do with, with what you want to accomplish. Like. Professionals in your field, especially if you want to become an engineering contractor, you need to keep in touch with those people. And when I say, keep in touch, it's like, you know, if six months go by and you haven't talked to the person, then, then reach out and say, hello and say, Hey, I was thinking of you. I saw this article or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything. But as long as you make the contact, then that person will remember who you are and it might even um, initiate a conversation, and and it and it may even end up in some work that you could have, and and so I I think that's my my biggest piece of advice is to
0: nurture and cultivate your network. Would you like to reach out via a phone call or a email or some other sort of electronic? Um, I think an email is perfectly acceptable
1: and a, a a phone call you kind of it, it it's easy it's easy for a phone call to feel more awkward when time has gone by yeah um if you have a yeah. real reason to talk to the person then a phone call is ideal cuz that because inevitably yeah. whenever you make a verbal connection with somebody you end up talking about things that just bring you closer together and and it's the relationships that yeah. really matter um when you're, when you're working on professional uh, relationships, it, y- even the personal things that, that comments come through mean something and, and, and are, are valuable. So if you have a, All if right. you if you have the guts or, or a real reason to make a phone call, then that would be my first choice. But, but an email just to say, Hey, I was thinking of you
0: because of whatever. And
1: that's perfectly good too.
0: And and don't let your wife being eight months pregnant stop you either. I can speak some uh, experience on that one. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that back up, Bernie. Because I wanted
1: to say when I was (laughs) in 2001, when I formed Bears Feet Consulting Services, it was September of 2001. And I'm sure some people listening would would have
0: recollection of that.
1: Yeah. And so it was Mm. early September and I was literally putting stuff in a box on my desk at Sterilite when I was working there as a full time employee because I had given my notice a couple of weeks before, uh-huh. and my wife was three months pregnant uh-huh. with our first uh-huh. child, and so I forget the three words that you use to say brave and and uh, and uh-huh. stupid or maybe yeah, brave,
0: foolish. Fool. I'm not sure. What it was, you know, it was the But the, the the most amazing phone. Yeah, maybe not. But anyways, when, you know, I gave my boss notice, and he wasn't terribly surprised because they knew I was doing that. And he said, so uh, a lot of sleepless nights. I said, no, not really. I'm, I'm at peace with this. I'm happy this is the thing I'm, I'm going to go do. All right, so I have one, one last question for you, Nate. This is the grab bag question. I've got a bunch of random silly questions. Pick a number from one to 10, and you will get that question to answer. Uh, seven. Number seven. Oh, this is an interesting one. If you had to relive high school where one is, it's an absolute living nightmare, 10, that'd be awesome. Sign me up. Where would you rate that experience?
1: Um, I. Relive the existing high school experience that I had. Is that the detail?
0: Or yeah, or, yeah. or
1: do I get to know what I know now and do it a little bit differently?
0: Ah Answer any way you choose.
1: Yeah, so I would definitely want a second crack at it if I had a little bit more wisdom going into it. For a number of reasons, certainly for the social reason as well as the academic reason, you know I, I certainly didn't apply myself when you know the most common teacher comment about me was Nate has such potential. If only he would try, you yeah. know, and I got so sick of hearing that, but it's uh, true. You know, I really didn't try very hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Cause, uh, my, my youngest son, teacher says stuff like that and he's very blonde just as you are. So maybe this blondes take a little longer to mature and develop. Is that what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Just had to go there. All right. Well, I that's uh all I got. Anything one last thing, anything else you have on your chest you want to get off while you have the microphone to the world? Uh, you know what? I really appreciate
1: this effort that you're putting into um, your professional life as well as the funness the, the funness factor that, that, that happens from it. Um I look forward to uh lis- listening fun. to the to the podcasts that that um are coming up. I hope, I hope it continues, it. I wish, wish you the best.
0: Nate, this has been a good pleasure, as always, and uh, we'll see you again sometime, and we'll get this podcast out in the near future. All right, great. Thanks, Bert. Have a good night. That wraps up today's episode of the Beers with Engineers podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to like, subscribe, give a rating, and most importantly, tell your friends whether they are an engineer or not. Happy to have them listen Any comments and suggestions are welcome and encouraged. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast or know somebody that you think might be a good guest on the podcast, please let us know that too. Until next time, this is Bert saying goodbye.